Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. This episode of iPad Pros is sponsored by Agenda. Learn more at www.agenda.com. Surprising results, often in a good way. Like One of the things that took me aback when I first used this technology was that you know, when we're playing our tabletop role-playing game, we often be saying things like, my character says blah, 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 blah. And what I was surprised by was in the transcript, it would say, my character says, open quotes, yeah, 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 close quotes. I'm like, it's picked up that that's a quotation. How did that, that surprises me. Welcome back to another episode of Prose. I'm excited to welcome back Canis to the podcast, who has been on episodes 34 and 160 of the show to talk about Ferrite versions 2 and 3. In this episode, we are diving deep into his latest app, Transcriptionist, an on-device transcription app that directly integrates with Ferrite. This is an app that really puts the power of the M1 and M2 iPad Pros to use and creates some truly great-looking and very accurate transcripts. So we'll be diving into that app in depth coming up. If you want to support this podcast, the best thing to do is go out and download Agenda, who is sponsoring this episode of Iva Pros. I'll be sharing a bit later in this episode all about their Agenda 18 update. But for now, head on over to agenda.com and get started with this awesome app that I've used for years at this point to produce the show. Another way to support this podcast and get early access to both Iva Pros and Vision Pros is by supporting the Patreon at patreon.com slash or by subscribing in Apple Podcasts. My great thanks to everyone that supports the show there. And as a reminder, I now do a podcast all about the Apple Vision Pro, which you can find at visionpros.fm and on all the various podcast platforms. The October episode is now out with Bart Bouchatz. This was such a fun discussion about the potential of this spatial computing future, and now Apple has been laying this foundation for years at this point. So go out and listen to that if you haven't had a chance to yet. With that, here's my discussion with Canis, all about Transcriptionist. Welcome back to the podcast, Canis. Hi, Tim, and thank you for inviting me on. Absolutely. So we are not talking about Ferret today, although it is related uh, very <laughs> much so. Um, as this is a new app, Transcriptionist, um, all about transcribing audio, and it directly integrates with Ferrite if you are a Ferrite user, but works as a standalone app if if not. So, uh, so for those that don't know who you are um, and haven't listened to the past episodes, uh, can you share a bit about your background as a developer? Yeah, hi, I'm Canis, and I've been making apps for iOS since the day the App Store opened. Well. I guess I started making them a little bit in advance, but yeah, the, the day the app store opened, I had an app on sale and I haven't stopped since. Uh, before that, I actually worked in the video games industry. I uh, spent about 10 years doing that. So yeah, that was my early background. And uh, on the app store, I've been making mostly audio related apps, not entirely. I've dabbled with other stuff, but um, a lot of the more successful apps have been audio related, including uh, music synthesizers, audio editors, and I think these days most well known for Ferrite, as you mentioned, which is the, the podcast editor. 
Excellent. And um, yeah, before we dive into this brand new app, I'm curious, um, iPad OS 17, um, has it changed much in how you use your iPad? And I know interactive widgets are still kind of rolling out, but... Uh... Yeah, it hasn't really. I mean, it's uh, I think it's a solid update. There's a lot of really nice features. They're just not ones that really affect my day-to-day or you know, my workflow. Uh, I'm not a big widgets on the lock screen person. Um, and yeah, like some of the features super cool. Like, um, I'm really impressed by the thing that takes PDF files and figures out when they are like fill in forms and fills in that stuff automatically. But like I get a PDF that I have to fill in maybe once a year. So I haven't looked at that. So (laughs) yeah, it hasn't really changed my life right now. And, um, the stage manager enhancements are solid, but I actually like full screen. Right. iPad as a traditional iPad. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's that seems rare these days. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it hasn't changed the world for me, but I am looking forward to getting out in the world and then apps getting updated and starting to see what people actually do with interactive widgets and things. Yeah, for sure. So let's dive into your new app. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, it's all about creating transcripts from audio directly integrates with Ferrite. Um, something I've I've wanted to do transcripts for a while for my podcast, but it's been a, just just a problem I have not figured out how to solve. And this seems to be the perfect solution. So, any kind of opening comments before you dive deeper into this app? That's a broad question. I'm not quite sure where to tackle it from. Um... Yeah, it's it's a yeah, it's a transcription app. You add audio to it, it turns it into text. It's the simple version, but it does it all privately on your device rather than in the cloud. So we don't have access to either the audio or the text that it creates. And where did the um where did the idea for this come about? I mean, it seems like a natural fit with with podcasting and the needs of podcasters, but you know, we're where, 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 is there an origin story to this this app? Uh, how far back do you want to go? I mean, <laughs> I've been doing research into this area for many years because it seems, as you say, like a, a natural fit for ferrite. And um, many years ago, Apple added an API that let developers use series transcription. When you talk to Siri, obviously it needs to be able to take what you're saying, turn that into text, and then it's that text that it tries to figure out what you're actually asking it to do. Yeah. Drafts, I think, is the best example of using that technology, I think, to do, you know, you're speaking to drafts and it's doing uh, Siri-based, you know, translation of that or um, um, transcription of your live audio. Yeah. So... That they had an API that let developers access that many years ago, but it was incredibly limited. I think initially it may have only supported English, and I think it had a hard limit of one minute of audio because it's designed for voice commands, not for transcribing podcasts and things. And then over time, they gradually release, uh, relaxed some of those constraints, they supported more languages. Uh, and if you enabled on-device transcription, it could handle greater amounts of audio. But it was, 
And obviously I was interested in looking into this for ferrite for all sorts of different reasons, things like being able to search your library, being able to make transcripts of podcasts, potentially even using it to support editing features or, you know, spotting potential problems. Like maybe if you want to search for swear words across your whole podcast, something like that. But it was never, the quality was never high enough. It was incredibly slow. And the API had a lot of weird edges. Like it would just say, I don't have that. I don't have support for that language. And it actually does. But what it means is I'm still downloading the data files for that language in the background. I have no progress reports for you. I cannot notify you when it's done. You're just going to have to put up with it saying, no, can't do that until one day when it will magically say, yes, actually I can. That's not something I can build a feature around because I have no way to message what's going on to the user. I can't say, yeah, your phone is busy fetching this in the background. I don't know how long it'll take. And then it might get clean, cleaned up because you're low on storage space and then it'll stop working again. This isn't a way to build a feature. So I shelved it for a long time. And then the, uh, the pandemic happened and we all spent a lot more time uh, talking to our friends online and some friends and I had uh, a weekly game night where we would all get on Discord and hang out with each other and play tabletop games. And the tabletop games we were playing were more sort of um, based around like investigating a mystery, that kind of thing. It would be important next next week to remember what happened last week. And so I was taking extensive notes and so on so that I could write that up and send that out to the other players. And then next week, we'd, you know, just before the session, we'd be able to skim through and remind ourselves what happened. But it was distracting for me because it was taking me out of the game. So eventually we're like, can we just record this and then transcribe it? And found a Discord bot called Craig that would... Uh, essentially join the voice call and just record everything. And usefully it would record each person on a separate audio file. And then you, at the end of the, the call, you could download all of those. And so I wrote what eventually became like a very, very early prototype of transcriptionist for that purpose. And it was very crude. It was Mac only. And it was using this Siri technology that's slow and unreliable and just not very high quality. But it was just enough that I could throw these audio files at it, get a transcript that was sometimes hilariously bad, but I could read it and figure out what was being said. And because I had it set up so that I could play back the audio files, that was enough because I could skim through all the stuff when we were talking about the TV program that we watched last night and see the bit where we were talking about the game and go, ah, and then if it wasn't readable, at least I'd saved myself 30 minutes of scrubbing through audio files because I could go straight to the bit I actually needed to listen to and then I could type up the transcription. So it was already, it wasn't usable as a product. You know, it wasn't something I would feel comfortable putting on the market, but it was usable enough for me that it was saving me a lot of time. And so it just sort of sat there as this weird little side project sitting on my Mac for a few months. And then a company called OpenAI dropped a technology called Whisper on the world and said, here you go, do whatever you like with this. 
And Whisper is a, a much, much faster, much, much higher quality transcription engine. And that was interesting. And it's also a complex wobbly pile of Python scripts um, that runs on the command line and is quite complicated to install and figure out how to use. Then a guy in Bulgaria by the name of, I'm not sure how to, I don't know if it's pronounced uh, Georgi or Georgi or something like that, but Georgi Gurganov uh, figured out how to take that and distill it down to a little bit of regular C code that would uh, allow it to run even on quite small devices. And at this point, this is very interesting, but it's still just an engine rather than a car. Um, you know, it's, it takes audio in a very specific format and it spits out a kind of stream of consciousness of words, but it's not, you know, a, um, an app. But this is the point where I thought, okay, I can take this and actually make something real out of it. So I took my toy, my prototype app, upgraded it with Whisper, just the the hackiest way I could imagine, just to check if it would actually work. And it was so much faster and it was so much more accurate that it was just startling. And it changed the way that I actually made those write-ups because rather than just using it to find the places to listen to, it was solid enough that I could just copy and paste paragraphs in. And that's when I said, okay, I'm going to start from scratch and write this properly and make a real app out of it. And that's what I've been working on for, you know, all year, basically. <laughs> so that is the very long background story to it. I love it. That That's really cool. Um, and yeah, and kind of goes right into another question I had of, you know, podcasters use Ferrite. It's a very common use case of the app. But how else do you see people using uh, your new transcript app? And one of your ways was, you know, transcribing audio from a D&D game and, uh, or yeah. board game, I should say. Um, uh, it was uh, neither. It was a, a tabletop role-playing game, but not D&D. Okay. <laughs> we're playing uh, sci-fi oriented games. So we're kind of zipping around in spaceships and things. Very cool. But uh, yeah, how else um, reporters, I'd imagine, could could be using this? What, what other kind of use cases do you see? Uh, yeah, there's just so much things you could do with it. Uh, I mean, yeah, with journalism, it, obviously just being able to transcribe, have a transcription of an interview that you can publish is good. But also just being able to make a transcription to, again, be able to search through it so that you can find the pieces that you want to clip out, whether that's to find a quote to use as an article or whether that's to find pieces that you know you're going to want to use. Like with a podcast like the one we're doing right now, you're very much just going to take both of our audio, all of it into the editor and then just start tightening things up. But for something that's more in that kind of uh, NPR, BBC, reportage, documentary style, where they're, you know, you might have a couple of people in the studio talking, and then they've got a reporter in the field, and then that person's doing an interview with somebody, but they're not going to do the whole interview. They're just going to take a couple of sentences to illustrate a point. Finding those sentences. The 20 max for 2020 Jason Snell did is kind of that style where he's taking yeah. just a snippet of audio and using this to find what is being said to grab that stuff would be useful. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind of thing that 
um it's a it's a nice style of uh production but it it's quite labor intensive because yeah. you do have to go through all that material but having transcripts with timestamps and you know exactly where to go to that can just save so much time um and that's just one example i mean in general i mean i've had times when i have wanted to just say to somebody oh there's this video on youtube that had that has something in it that's of interest to them but i don't know the timestamp let's say hypothetically one had an app on one's desktop that could download a youtube video and hypothetically one were to drop that video into <laughs> a transcription app you could find the exact timestamp and then you can link them back to youtube but with the little timestamp that's the exact right spot without you having to scrub through the whole thing to find the, the right place and also yeah, making subtitles for videos or all sorts of things like that. Um, potentially, I guess, if you're in a lecture, probably the best thing to do would be to get the original notes of the lecturer is reading from. Yes. <laughs> but if you can't get that, then, and you ha do have a recording, then you could get a transcript that way. That's another, there's just so many different uses for this uh, that makes... Yeah, I mean, you could even run it on... I imagine some universities release podcast official recordings of some lectures. You could run it on that nice clean audio from yeah. them if they're not creating a transcript, you just do it yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's I think it's also important for accessibility as well. You know, not everybody can listen to a podcast. So um Yeah. Making that information searchable and accessible to everyone is very useful. Yeah, for sure. Something um, I'm very curious about, this is not something available today or may ever be a thing, but um, the Descript uh, audio editor that which uses transcripts basically for the editing process, do you see a future, uh, you know, five years from now where Ferrite could uh, somehow integrate with this app to, you know, let me remove all the ums from my audio and then I'll do my editing in Ferrite or maybe do the whole editing process just with words and cutting stuff out in that way, like Descript uh, does it. That's definitely something I'm interested in. It, it's a, So one of the problems with this is that while it has pretty good timestamps, they're not necessarily accurate enough for editing, Yeah, like precisely. Okay. So actually taking that text and editing the text in order to edit the audio it's probably not going to be feasible with this particular technology. Now, it may refine over time, but also um, it's also, even if it just helps narrow down, again, where you want to edit, it could be helpful for it to be more integrated. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, adding an extra three gigabytes to the ferrite download size is not yes. something i'm in a rush to do um for example obviously because there are different we haven't gotten to this yet but there are different sizes of ai brain that you can use and the smallest ones obviously they take up less space they're a lot faster but they're going to be less accurate because they have less training data in them whereas the larger ones are going to be more accurate but also slower and take up a lot more space um so one of the reasons why, because I guess this is part of the, the story as well, was I was thinking one of the ideas that I had for integrating this technology into Ferrite, as I mentioned, was things like being able to search your library, being able to search podcasts 
inside the projects and so on. Mm -hmm. Even though this technology is massively faster than what we were using before and massively more accurate, it's not so fast that we can just routinely scan your entire Ferrite library and have yeah. that up to date. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not yet. You know, when we have the M10 iPad Pro or whatever. And yeah, so maybe in future that is something that we could do. Uh, but in the meantime, that's just not going to be feasible because it will just kill your battery. And you know, particularly because you can't do processing or you can only do very limited processing in the background. The whole thing would mostly pause when you're not actually running the app. And so it could take like a month before, you know, depending on the size of your library. <clears throat> Tim, who yes. has a very large library. My <laughs> 300, 400 gigabyte library, yeah. <laughs> then that's going to be a problem. Yes. But because even if it scans some of your files and you go to search and it's just, it's just not a good experience if it's, just missing a whole bunch of stuff because it hasn't had the chance to go through it all. So I was thinking, okay, what can we actually put into Ferrite that would be useful? And obvious example is transcripts for finished podcasts because then it only has to transcribe that specific data, not your whole library. And also Ferrite has a like a very basic video export and it's not designed for creating or editing videos it's just because for some reason a lot of social networks let you post video but not audio which seems weird because yes. video takes up more space than the audio so i'm not quite sure what they're thinking but that's yeah. how it works so yeah, i upload my podcast as a video to youtube as an option and it's just a big thumbnail <laughs> but it would be cool to have a live transcript a on the, yeah cool wouldn't it <laughs> so that's something i was thinking about and the more i thought about that and different configuration options and all of that the more i realized i was basically writing an entire extra app inside ferrite which is already a pretty big complicated app that kind of didn't need to be there and would both take up space for all the ferrite users who don't care about that and also means that anyone who only cares about that would have to learn all of the rest of ferrite which they don't necessarily care about so it just made so much more sense to make it a separate app and that's kind of how we ended up here <laughs> <laughs> have you considered within um the transcript transcriptionist uh to have a video export option where it has that thing as we're talking about of just like a very kind of playful live or you know animated text with different it's absolutely on the list of things that i want to do uh it did not make it for this you know for version 1.0 i don't know when it will i hope it will be i don't know i don't want to make any promises yeah. about when yeah but that's i have a, a thing sitting on my desktop that is like experimenting in that area so that's all i'll say for now because yeah that'll be very cool because and it's also going to incentivize podcasters to use chapter markers use images in those chapter markers because if you integrate with with that data you could create a pretty engaging video of your uh, image changing with the chapter marker and maybe the header of that chapter marker coming up and you know with the yep absolutely pretty neat yeah yeah uh i sort of see it that's very much the kind of thing that i'm interested in in supporting in a future version excellent <laughs> so um we spoke a little bit about the siri transcript and that not quite being <laughs> Uh, very useful for this app. <laughs> Are there yeah. any other OS level technologies that made this something a reality at this point in time? Uh, the Apple Neural Engine is a thing. I'm not sure if that is helpful in this regard. 
The neural engine is certainly used within transcriptionist. It's not essential. And we were, yeah, I was developing transcriptionist for a while before Apple neural engine support was added and it was working fine. But when it can activate the neural engine, it's about two to three times faster, perhaps more, um, depending on your exact settings and yada, yada, yada. Some of the AI brains are too big to fit on the neural engine, so it's not available for every uh, every combination of settings. But you will find that the smaller brains are not just a little bit faster, but enormously faster. Yeah. No, that's very cool. Yeah, and it's it's interesting the different brain sizes, as we'll dive into later, but you know, there may be uses for, let me just run a tiny brain scan versus... You know, just to get the rough transcript versus uh, let me pull out the large brain and let my iPad run overnight to, to grind on that thing. <laughs> I'm trying to think how long. That, I wouldn't expect it actually takes overnight necessarily. I suppose it depends on the settings, but um, it probably does take quite some time. Yeah, depending on the, the podcast. Like um, I was doing one that had um, two guests plus myself and it was like a nearly two hour conversation. So. I mean, it felt like it would have been overnight, but it you know, it was it was a, it was a fair bit for it to just uh, using the large brain. Um, it, uh, it it does add add more time as you go up the the complexity of the AI model model it's using. I mean, with the with the tiny brain, because uh, our weekly game night is about two hours, and yeah. there's about five of us depending okay. on who makes it. Yeah, and that you on the tiny brain that takes less than five minutes, usually three to five minutes, which is very nice. As you say, as you go up the brains, it gets slower. I think the large brain, at least on now, this is on a desktop on Mac. Mac, so yeah. obviously it's got a lot more uh, grunt to throw at the the problem. You're but using I, a Mac uh, Studio. What are you using with it? Yeah, I've got a. A Mac Studio, doo, 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 I think it's the Max, not at all confusingly named not Max all. Mac. Yep, yeah, the M1 Max Mac. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's my main dev machine. Uh, and I think you're looking at about, I would expect for the setup you were take, talking about maybe two to three hours at yeah. the outside, but I it does depend, and there may be things like thermal throttling if you're on an iPad that doesn't have any active cooling and stuff like that. So you may find that the device itself is slowing down after a while just because it's working so hard. No, and yeah, two to three hours is probably a good estimate of that, um, to be fair. Um, it just, you know, I just kind of leave my iPad and go do something else for a bit. Um, I'd imagine with stage manager, you could actually have it in the stage and be fine with how stage manager treats apps as they're all kind of foregrounded. Like I can do video exports and have it in the background of a stage. As long as that stage is up and running, it, uh, behaves itself. But, uh, I just tend to leave it and, and go off and do something else. Um, as far as the speed of how everything works, what resources is this app tech? Uh, tapping into i know ram is a big part especially on ipad um the large brain needs that 16 gigabyte um model available with the one terabyte or two terabyte m ipads but it may not be true at launch we'll see right now it does but we're still tweaking the settings on okay that. Um, cool um because 
yeah, there's quite a, it does need quite a bit of memory to load. And for people who may not keep track of it, we're not just talking about the storage space. You know, if you get like, as you say, the two terabyte iPad, we're not just talking about that space, but the actual working memory of the RAM yeah, in, the, in the machine. On, in iPad world, Apple uh, does not let you like configure a 256 gigabyte iPad with 16 gigs of RAM. They yeah. just say, once you hit one terabyte, we'll also sell you the 16 gigabytes and include that in the cost, which is why yeah. which is why the price jump is so great going to one terabyte. You're also paying the 200 bucks for the RAM. <laughs> yeah. But um, is it the CPU that's also being taxed? Uh, are you able to tap into the GPU? Um, what, what kind of uh, thing? Not really you- using the GPU other than, you know, just in the usual way as part of rendering the user interface okay. but the uh both the cpu and the neural engine when it can yeah. are going to be taxed extensively and it's okay. using multiple cores as well so that if you you know uh, we have these high core count devices these days you know um essentially multiple cpus more or less in there on the system on the chip a whole bunch of them are going to be put to work on the task as you know it can kind of fan out the work to these different calls and then gather it back together again. Yeah. If you have an older, slower device, that shouldn't prevent you using a particular brain as long as you have the memory for it. So right. it, it'll just take longer. A slow device. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the memory is a limiting factor in terms of what size of brain you can use uh, because it does need to load the whole thing into memory and the largest one is over three gigs and it needs not just space for the brain but also to process it and to store the audio that's being processed as well as the rest of the app and the operating system and everything else so it adds up now with swap max handle memory swapping in and out very fluidly yeah. And Apple's mentioned in passing like that that's now a thing sort of with M M series iPads. Is that it's true or not really true? It's not really terribly clear to us as developers what exactly <laughs> is going on there. Okay. My suspicion, and this is purely me like hypothesizing, yeah. I don't know. My suspicion is that they are probably when you switch apps with Stage Manager on an M1 iPad, mm-hmm. they are probably, whereas on other iPads, when the system memory gets low, it just kills off apps. Right. They may instead be sort of um, freeze drying them into yeah. swap instead and then bringing them back. Uh, more rapidly than if they had to warm the whole thing up from scratch because they can just sort of reheat it. Okay. Um, That's my guess. I don't actually know. The funny thing is they've always supported virtual memory, just not at a system level. Or rather, it's in the kernel, but it's not in the OS, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Maybe it doesn't. What I mean is... Uh, one of my other apps, Hoxley, actually does this. If you want to work with a file that is bigger than memory, yeah. you can by essentially mapping that into the address space, which is a whole complex technical thing that probably your listeners don't care about. But effectively, it's about half, it's not exactly swap, but it's maybe half of swap in that yeah. to the app, it looks like the whole thing is loaded into memory. 
But what's actually going on behind the scenes is the operating system is loading little pieces of the file into memory on demand. Mm. So that's almost a swap. The difference is that if you modify it, it doesn't write the changes back again. Gotcha. He said, and then wonders if that's true. That might not be strictly true. <laughs> <laughs> the main difference, though, overall, is that you have to manage that process yourself. You have to say, this file with this these contents that I'm going to map over here, and I'm going to access it in this way. It can't automatically say, you've just used too much memory, so I'm going to throw this stuff onto disk. Wow, they've got a lot more obtuse than it really needs to. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> so something that you mentioned in kind of the opening about this app is each one of the brilliant things of working with Ferrite is traditionally you'll edit each person on their own track. And uh, this app will make sure you are very um, good about that and don't try to like uh, in the past, sometimes I would put the uh, opening, you know, 30 second preview of the episode on, a different track and now I'm being good and putting it where it should be. So that person is reflected in the transcript. And, um, so as you export, uh, for, uh, the transcript, um, each person's on their own track, um, which is very awesome for a lot of different reasons. Um, how's it handle a crosstalk and things like that within this, where it knows who's speaking and what, what are the kind of ramifications of this multi-track approach? So crosstalk is just, not an issue at all, as long as you are importing multi-track files. Like if you were to take a finished podcast MP3 file and drop it in, which you can, you're then obviously crosstalk is going to confuse it because it just has a single file that where the audio is already mixed together. But if you are taking multi-track audio, whether that's from ferrite or something else, then it's processing each stream independently. So the crosstalk is just not an issue because it never hears it. It only ever hears one track at once. It might look a bit weird when you're reading the transcript if you... Because obviously if two people are talking at the same time, yeah. it can't overprint the text. <laughs> so it has to pick one to go we're not, first. We're not in a Vision Pro world where you have layers of three-dimensional textures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... It is going to pick an order, and so there's that. But, you know, it should be fine. It should be readable. The way that it displays the transcripts, there's a bar down the left-hand side of each paragraph that shows progress. Mm -hmm. And But it's not just a single bar from the top to the bottom of the podcast. Each paragraph has its own little bar. And what that means is if two people are talking at the same time, both of the bars will be moving independently. So you might see one of them start to move as they start talking and then the other person starts speaking and their bar is also moving at the same time, which might, I think that description might be a bit confusing, but I think when you actually see it in the app, it makes perfect sense because you're just like, oh yeah, that person's talking, their bar is moving. Yeah, obvious. This episode of Apple Pros is sponsored by Agenda. Agenda 18.1 is now available with support for interactive widgets and iPad OS 17 and now supports advanced data protection for those using that with iCloud. In this quick break, I want to share a little bit about Agenda 18, which was just released a little bit over a month ago. First up, Agenda now with version 18 now has a very robust locking and password system where you can now lock individual notes, entire projects, or the entire Agenda app. To lock an individual note, 
you simply click on the little note indicator next to the note title, which indicates if the note is on the agenda, off the agenda, or completed. You'll now see an option there to lock that note. When you lock a note, you choose whatever password you'd like to use, and you can also gain access to that locked agenda content with Face ID, Touch ID, or even the Apple Watch to unlock it on the Mac. To lock a project, you simply hit the triple dot icon next to the project name in the sidebar. To lock the entirety of Agenda, you simply enable that in the settings of Agenda. Agenda 18 also brought with it a very robust color organizational system. In the past, notes could be marked with different colors, but now you can set up tons of different custom colors that you can now rename to whatever you want. I've started to use this system to bring attention to the notes I need to focus on and other notes that are ongoing and don't need my immediate attention. Many will use red, yellow, and green to indicate the note's status, and using that same on the agenda circle next to note title, you can click on that to assign a color to any note. When you assign a color to a note, the note itself will show that color in the background. It does this in a very pleasant way using a very non-saturated version of that color, similar to what Apple would do with the iPhone 15 colors, making the notes very readable and opens you up to using the entire color wheel. You can also change the color of text within an agenda note to be one of those colors. So, for instance, you can change just a single line of an outline to be something that needs attention, whereas the rest of the note may be just in the standard black color versus that single line which may need your attention. On top of this is the new filtering and sorting options. As an example, if you open up the On the Agenda overview, you can, by tapping or clicking the header text on the agenda, change how those notes are organized for you. By default, it'll group all the notes by the project and sort them by the assigned date. You can now tap the header of that window that by default says by assigned date, and here choose to group notes by project, color, or ungrouped. The color option can be especially powerful, allowing you to focus in on notes across several projects. And using this new color system of custom named colors, you can really be pretty creative as far as how you want to organize your agenda library. You can then sort notes by assigned date, creation date, edited date, or title. So that is just some of what is new in Agenda 18. If you haven't tried Agenda yet, I'd really encourage you to download it and give it a try. Agenda is free to download and use with no obtrusive ads. To unlock the full power of Agenda, give Agenda Premium a shot. One thing that Agenda continues to do that I love is their approach to premium features and unlocks. If you ever decide to cancel your Agenda Premium subscription, you get to keep all of the premium features available to you when you are a subscriber. Or you can now opt for their new Lifetime Unlock, which will unlock the full power of Agenda on all your Apple devices with a single one-time purchase. To learn more, go to Agenda.com. Download Agenda 18 today for free from the App Store. My thanks again to Agenda for sponsoring this episode of iPad Pros. Learn more at www. Agenda.com. As far as um, you mentioned, uh, one of the earliest ones, this was very critical of listening uh, to audio and correcting the typos. You'll still need to do some of that, uh, not as much, depending on which brain you use. Um, what's that process like of playing back and you know fixing uh, the different uh, text? For, I don't think we've actually described what it looks like in app yet. So yeah. 
uh the layout depends on whether you're if you're using like a tiny little iphone screen then it's just a single column but on ipad or mac it's a two column view where you've got the right hand column is the actual text itself and the left has the sort of information like the person speaking and um the timestamps and stuff like that so you can just click on any of those timestamps and it will jump playback to that point and if you double click it will start playing as well because it doesn't just give you the text and then throw the audio away. The audio is still part of the document, so it, you can always refer back to it. So if you aren't sure what was said, that if you aren't sure what was said, and yeah, you, you because there are a lot of words in the English language that sound the same, but are written completely different. And while it can usually guess from context, it can't always. So, you know, there are occasionally uh, points where it can get confused. You can just double click and listen to the audio and it supports uh, variable speed. So you can listen back at 2x speed if you want to. Um, you can also, if you know, crosstalk is an issue for the app, but it might be for you. So if you're listening to a bit where everyone was talking at once, you can just solo a particular person and hear what they were saying that got lost or just mute somebody who's being a bit too loud and <laughs> listen to everyone else. Obviously, there's full search and search and replace. So you can use that to find stuff within the document and then just go in and click on the text that you want to change or replace text throughout or whatever you want to do. Yeah. Something I experienced pretty quick is um, I have a uh, Ellis Island last name that was just made up on the spot uh, immigration. <laughs> And uh, the model has no idea that this word is a word. Uh, so I am Tim Chen, uh, based on the transcript. Uh, is, there a, <laughs> is there a way that you foresee in the future to add custom words to the model in some way? So as I mentioned, the models were trained by this company, OpenAI, mm -hmm. who just threw tens of thousands of hours of audio and transcripts to train yeah. yeah, it is theoretically possible to refine these models. It's also an incredibly complex, time-consuming, processor-consuming, and just generally confusing process. So it's not so, as easy as telling my iPhone this red-lined word is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But transcriptionist isn't using the models and just saying, "Well, that's it, job done." Yeah. It's pre-processing your audio before it even gets sent into the model. Mm -hmm. And it's also cleaning up the output from the model afterwards. Sorry, I'm using the word model and just throwing that around. Like yeah. this is what we mean by these are the AI brains. The technical term is the model. So, and the AI brain is just, as I mentioned before, just throwing out a kind of a stream of consciousness of words. So transcriptionist is post-processing that, cleaning it up, figuring out whether it's speech or whether it's because it also transcribes some noises like if you laugh or something like that it will often pick up on yeah that. i saw that that was like oh that's really nice talk. and yeah. so uh transcriptionist will try and detect that and will actually mark that separately in the transcription and so when you're looking at it in the app i think it just uh puts it in italics but you can treat that separately when you export it so it's also got a whole bunch of other post-processing that it does Again, this isn't something I've fully thought through. It's just something that's been rattling around in mm -hmm. the back of my brain, but it might be nice to add a settings tab or something like that where you can add your own post-processing. 
So if it's always spelling your surname a particular way, yeah, and you you could possibly because you can already use search and replace to fix that, but it's yeah. just annoying if you have to do it for every document. Right. So in settings, so you'd you have just... if it has Chen. I never will probably say Chen unless I have a guest with that. You know. Well, what you could put is like Tim Chen, because that's not going to trigger on much unintentionally. Right. Exactly. So then you just correct that to Tim how it should Chatton. be. Chatton. <laughs> yes. And have that kind of search and replace performed automatically as it's performing the transcription. Yeah. Because both the apps, because the app's search and replace supports full, has full regular expression support. Mm-hmm. And that's also what's being used for some of the prose processing that's going on behind the scenes. So all of that can come together to make quite a powerful uh, system for enabling you to clean up the transcriptions afterwards. Yeah. No, very cool. And as we mentioned before, chapter markers are mm-hmm. very incentivized to use those in Ferrite, and uh, listeners will appreciate it as well. But uh, it is so nice. Uh, I use tons of chapter markers, and when I do the uh, transcri- transcript, it, it makes reading through your transcript so much easier to just jump to these big headers. Um, yeah. What are some of the other things that are supported in here. I know like URLs are are brought in and things like that. Yeah. So it will bring through the chapter titles, artwork, and links. Um, You can also edit the text and artwork in Transcriptionist. You can't yet edit the links. I forget why. I think there was a reason. It may just be something that didn't get done in time for Mm -hmm. 1.0. But those come through automatically from Ferrite. If you import an MP3 or even, I guess, an M4A that has chapter markers mm-hmm. in it, it will also pick it up from those. Yeah. And you can add your own manually manually within the app. You can... Ferrite supports uh, exporting chapter markers as JSON files. If you drop those files in, you can import those, but you don't really need to because it's got integration directly anyway. But if you were somehow to convince, if you edit podcasts in something else, if you can convince that something else to export JSON of the same layout, you could drop that into Transcriptionist. It would work. Um, and it's a very straightforward format. It's just like it has the timestamp and the text and yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I was just uh, brainstorming as you were speaking. It'd be cool if um, the chapter marker thing within tra- the transcript uh, supported video files. So if you're speaking about like a video game and this video export uh, feature eventually would be able to play back like a, a trailer of a game you're talking about uh, silently or something like that. That would be just a, I don't know, another thing for the bucket list. <laughs> One of the things I have on the bucket list is if you do transcribe video, which I should say some videos are supported right now, not all of them are. The reason for this is obscure technical stuff, but basically some of iOS's audio APIs also accept video, hmm. and but only some videos, and it's not really clear why. Are they like the is. Apple M- MP4 native <laughs> ones probably in MOV? Or? You'd think so, but not yeah. all of them. Okay. It's weird. Huh. So um, some videos are currently supported. I hope to add, because Ferrite will import videos 
all videos that your iPad can play pretty right. much. Yeah. I mean, if you have something like VLC installed, that can have its own video playback code that might support formats that the yeah. iPad doesn't understand. But anything that the iPad can natively play back should import into Ferrite. That's not yet the case for Transcriptionist, okay. but I hope to use the same code from Ferrite to make that the case in Transcriptionist. It's just a little tricky for some technical reasons to do with how file handling is different between iPad and Mac. Yeah. It's yeah. It's not something we really <laughs> get into now, but it's it's planned. What I was thinking is if you add a chapter marker to a transcript that is sourced from a video file, it mm -hmm. could potentially grab the image from that timestamp oh, from yeah. the video as the chapter art. That'd be cool. Just yeah. another idea. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. On the list of things that may get looked at one day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Something that just struck me right away when using this app is just how beautiful the transcripts are. You can color code Thank the people. You. Like it just looks very visually appealing in a way that you think is just text, but it does a good job with that. Um, what are some of the like export options available? You mentioned before the closed captioning, but um there are you can even do custom exports and you know the html will kind of kind of mimic what you see in the app which is really nice um in terms of how the app looks inside the app i tried i think this is the most apple like for good or ill yeah. <laughs> of the apps that i've made in that it you know it's very much using standard fonts and um but trying to yeah make it feel like if apple made a transcription app the color coding you mentioned that was something that i find very useful when looking through the transcripts to quickly identify who says what. Uh, if you name your audio files consistently, it will actually try to learn that. And so for me, each week when I import our audio files from our game night, it already knows who they who they are and what their color codes are. So that each week they always have the same color codes for the same people. So to me, I now know that you know, my character has this color and that character has that color. And so it really helps when looking through the transcripts. Getting back to your question about exports, the built-in formats are um, Markdown, obviously very mm -hmm. popular. Two different subtitle formats, uh, SRT and VTT. They're very similar. The main difference is that VTT supports color coding. Okay. Um, and that will use the colors that you have set mm -hmm. up for the from the transcript. Uh, it supports CSV files, which is uh, comma separated values. It's basically what uh, it's kind of like an interchangeable spreadsheet. Yeah, it's and I'm curious it's about just a simple table. Yeah, I'm curious. Like, you wouldn't think spreadsheets and um, what what are the uses of the CSV? That's mainly for people who already have some kind of workflow in place that they want to be able to put transcripts into okay. just because it's a very common format mm -hmm. for uh, sending data from one app to another. Yeah. You know, often they'll, because it, yeah, if you imagine it as a spreadsheet, they would have one column with the timestamp, one column with the name, and then one column with the text. Yeah. And it's just very simple, but it means that they can get that data from transcriptionist into something they might already have on the system and uh yeah we've got html and pdf and they both support styling as you mentioned there's a couple of default styles that mimic what you see in the app with either the one column iphone style layout or the two column ipad and mac style 
layout. You can have it completely unstyled if you just want the HTML to paste into something, your web page you already have. Um, but there's also a few other styles and I'll, I'm planning to increase the number over time. So there's one that looks like a iMessage chat bubbles. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, that's already in there. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's not quite iMessage style because in iMessage, the, the speech, the tails of the speech bubbles are yeah. at the bottom, but that looks slightly weird because it's more helpful to have the names above the people speaking. So I moved it to the top just so it makes more sense that way. Yeah. Um, and it will actually do the left, right thing. If you, if you pick somebody's color code to be gray, mm -hmm. it will assume that they're the host Okay. and then use all the colorful bubbles as the guests so that you can have like an interview style thing. Yeah. Um, if nobody has the gray color code, then it will just distribute them to the left and right. Yeah. Sort of, it's not random, but I, I forget how it picks, but it's a bit more scattered. Um, there's a few other styles that are just kind of like simple business-like styles for if people need to send transcripts for work and don't want it looking, you know, too crazy or anything. Right. And then, yeah, the other thing is that you can actually create your own export formats. So if you already have an app that needs, say, a JSON file in a particular format, or if you want to export Markdown, but you have a particular format that you want to export it in. So for example, for the write-ups that I do for our game nights, I'm typing those up in a Markdown editor. Mm -hmm. I could export the whole transcript, but what I do instead is you can use these export formats for copy and paste as well. Mm -hmm. And so you can make a format and say, this is the format to use for copying, regardless of what I choose to export documents in. So that means that I can select a paragraph or several paragraphs in the transcription, copy, paste into my Markdown editor, and those quotes and the text and everything is formatted exactly how I want them to look in the write-up. And that's specified using a custom format. If you've used stuff like this before, you might be used to having to type obscure command, uh, sort of like control codes, like yeah. dollar name or percent at right. or something like that. There's none of that here. You just type exactly what you want to appear, but where you want something like a person's name, there's a, uh, a button and on the Mac, it's below the text field. It's an actual, just, you know, a clicky button. And on uh, iPhone or iPad, it's attached to the top of the software keyboard. Or if you're using external keyboard, that kind of lozenge shaped nugget that appears at the bottom of the screen, you just tap that and pick name or timestamp or text or whatever else it is that you want to be inserted. You know, when you type an email address or something into mail and it turns from plain text into this sort of uh, pill-shaped nugget. Yeah. It does the same thing with that. So you've got this little editable nugget and you just tap on that and a menu pops up with customization options. So if you want the timestamp to be, you know, 3M, 4S, or if you want it to be, uh, you know, 3 mins, 40 secs, or if you want it to be, uh, you know, 3,600 just a number because you're actually going to send this to another application and it doesn't want to have to parse it. It just wants the exact timestamp or, you know, I think, um, I think YouTube, uh, mm -hmm. timestamp links use that format or whatever, it, whatever it might be that yeah. you want to export, you can have it exactly the right format and you don't have to type in any obscure codes. It's just a pop-up menu and pick the options. 
Yeah. Have you um, experimented? I know we spoke about video as a future project, but um, have you experimented with just pure audio as like an HTML audio player and using the transcripts in some way for those that want to just put their podcasts on their website and have a, the transcript go along with it in a synced, synchronized way? This is something I'm interested in. It's an idea that's been knocking around in my head since before I was working on this app, when I was just thinking about it purely yeah. in terms of ferrite. Mm-hmm. The problem is that people host their podcasts in so many different ways with so many different podcast playback widgets that making that compatible with everyone's different website is going to be tricky. I think if you were technical enough, I'm pretty sure you could do that using the custom formats because you can say how each paragraph should look. Yeah. And there's no reason, you know, you can use the timestamp thing multiple times. So you could yeah. have a timestamp visible for the person reading it, but you could also have a timestamp in a little bit of JavaScript that's going to get sent to the, the player, player widget yeah. to jump it to the right position. And you could, as well as how you want the paragraphs to look, you can include stuff to go at the top and bottom so that you could include those little bits of JavaScript into the page somehow. That's You're going to need to be pretty technical yes. to set up something <laughs> like that. So in theory, that's possible. Yeah, I might at some point look into doing that using the default HTML5 audio player widgets, but they're not going to work for everyone because their podcast host might refuse to support those right. because they, yeah. you know, sometimes you need to get some kind of API key and fetch that before and then submit that when you press the audio and yada yada. So yeah, I do really hope one day that transcripts become part of the metadata for a podcast where you could have that. Like, cause I, it'd be kind of stupid to put this as in your show description, episode description. Cause I think there's a character cutoff probably in most of those, but it'd be nice that there was a whole separate field for just the transcript where, you know, Apple podcasts and overcast could like have that be a live thing. Like they do live lyrics. Why not live transcripts? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They've got, the infrastructure in, in place for that somewhere in the background somewhere right or you know maybe it's not part of the podcast app but i'm sure that you know that they could the, the apple podcasts team could walk, walk over to the apple music team and ask them for a copy of the code yes um <laughs> and you know marco's a smart guy he can put that together as well i'm sure yeah so if there is a way to specify that and it seems like I don't know if it would be something to go into the MP3 itself or something to go into the the RSS feed. Right. That's you know that metadata. Um, yeah. Either way. Yeah, I mean, an Apple Podcast could, could do be... it directly just for their player if they wanted to on their own Podcast Connect thing. You can upload your custom yeah. episode artwork. You could upload your transcript there. Um, It'd be nice if it was a more universal format that just, you know, an RSS feed did it. Yeah. (laughs) It would be nice. Yeah. But that's one of those things that it needs a lot of other people to agree on things. Yes. Yes. Are there best practices in your mind for how podcasters should share transcripts? What have you seen out as you're exploring transcripts? Is this something that people just put on their kind of episode website, you know, with the show notes, they have the transcript there? For people who have a separate page for each episode of the podcast, if they're going to put transcripts, they're often on that page or linked from it. 
I think that it's still a new enough thing that best practices haven't yet coalesced around that. So I'm not quite sure what everyone is doing. Uh, it seems to be, yeah, pretty scattered at the moment, whether it's supported or not, and if so, how. Yeah, I do think that that is something that people could get together on, even if it doesn't end up inside the podcast players themselves, although mm-hmm. it'd be nice if they did. Yeah. If there was a more standardized way, in the same way that, you know, websites link to their RSS feeds or link to their fav icon, whatever, you know, there's a standard place to find it. Yeah. Maybe there should be a standard place to find the transcript for a I mean, again, even if they don't put the transcripts in the RSS feed, it seems like it would be trivial to add a link to where they can be found. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, for the moment, I've been using the, the markdown export and putting it on mm-hmm. the episode page. But uh, I do wonder long term if, you know, if it would make sense to have some kind of link I could put in the episode description and click the link. It just pulls up the transcript in some neat way. Um, yeah. We've talked about the brains a bit. Uh, it's currently shipping with eight brains, a uh, tiny brain. I think that's correct. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. We have a tiny this brain. Is, uh, there's tiny, sm- uh, tiny, basic, small, medium, and large. And, and then multilingual versions of mo- of most of those, except for large yeah. and, ti- and tiny. Maybe. Yeah. Um, the tiny is available in both. It is. Okay. Is the large... Is there an English only large that, that does not even exist? Okay. No. But the thing is, if you look at the sizes, it's more than twice the size of the English only medium. And like I say, so the thing about it is the larger the brain, the more training data there is room for. Yeah. And so the reason why an English only brain is going to be better than a multilingual brain for English only transcriptions mm-hmm. is that all of the space. Yeah, all of that. I figure what it is. It's like 17, 90 megs, something like that. Yeah. All of that space is taken up just with English training data. Also supporting 100 other languages, which very nearly is, I think it's about 98, I yeah. think I counted them up. Then um, obviously there's less available for each language. But when you're talking about the large brain, it's already three gigabytes it doesn't actually, you know, the fact that some of that's shared out amongst other languages doesn't have as much impact as it does with smaller brains because okay. it's already got so much to work with. So doing, if I'm just doing an English podcast, I've got the medium English mm-hmm. only and the large multilingual, the large for English only uh, podcast would still be the better result than the medium English only in your mind and... Probably, yeah. I think you'd have to try it and, and yeah, see for I'm yourself. kind of curious about that. Yeah. It's as with anything involving AI, there aren't always hard and fast answers because this is kind of taking a huge amount of data and then trying to distill it. Yeah, and it can often depend on exactly what it is that you're trying to transcribe and you know what exactly it's been trained on and all of this stuff, and so it can occasionally have. You, you might find surprising results often in a good way like one of the things that took me aback when i first used this technology was that you know when we're playing our tabletop role-playing game we often be saying things like my character says blah 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 yeah and what i was surprised by was in the transcript it would say my character says open quotes yeah 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 close quotes i'm like it's picked up that that's a quotation 
<laughs> How did that's that surprises me? Yeah. Right? And there's a lot of things like that where, and that's the sort of thing that you start to see get more accurate as the uh, brain size goes up. Like yeah. there are bits where the very largest models will start adding more punctuation detail, like uh, M dashes between sort of thoughts that are a bit disjointed and, you know, dot, dot, dot at the end of a sentence that trails off. And you're like, that's getting kind of spooky. <laughs> so in terms of the medium or the large, I would try it and mm -hmm. see. You might find that, you know, the large generally is going to have the better results, but mm -hmm. the medium might not be far behind if you are doing English only and you're using the English only brain. Yeah. And it might be that the speed improvements is makes it uh, more worthwhile to use that one anyway. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And then within there, there's the option. I think it's on by default to the look ahead, where mm -hmm. what it's kind of looking ahead, you know, ten seconds, or kind of to figure the context of the sentence. It's it's not quite as it, so it processes audio in 30 second chunks okay but there's a little bit of overlap obviously because audio might cross between them mm -hmm. so it's not as simple as saying oh it's 10 seconds or whatever but what happens is as it's going through the simplistic way and the way that it does it if you don't have look ahead on is it listens to the audio and when it, and it tries to figure out what word this is or what piece of a word sometimes it picks the most likely thing. And it says, right, well, because with machine learning models, what they tend to do is they don't say, this is the word. What they say is, here are all the words that I know sorted into order of how likely it is that this is what was said. So at the top of the list is the most likely word and then the second most likely word. And if you've ever used you know, if you've been talking to Siri and you get a little blue underline and you tap it and it has alternate suggestions, those are the things that are like second or third in Siri's list. Yeah. That it's uh, thinking you might mean instead. With look ahead off, it just takes the top item on the list and moves on to the next word or piece of a word. With look ahead on, it considers like a few, I think it's like two or three words or pieces of words. Technically, tokens. I'm making little bunny ears here um, <laughs> for listeners at home. Um, and sees what's the most likely combination of words. So the example I give in, in the user guide is the word I is a lot more common in English than the word ice. Mm. So if it just hears I, then it's going to say, oh, that's probably the word I. Yeah. But the word I, the phrase I scream is a lot less common than the foodstuff ice cream. Yes. So if it hears the I and then the next bit is scream, yeah. then probably you said ice cream. Right. And so it shouldn't just jump to assuming that you said I and then having to try and... Unless you're telling a pun or whatever. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> and, you know, then it's going to be a bit... You may need to correct it. Yeah. It doesn't have a sense of humor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yet. Yeah. This can particularly help where one of the things that can throw transcriptions off is if it guesses what the word you said was, mm -hmm. but then that means that the words after it don't make sense and right. it's trying to make sense of them. And so having a little bit of this look ahead where it can say, take that context into account and realize that so it doesn't get into a dead end of trying to 
figure out what you're saying. And because it has to consider more possibilities, it's slightly slower than with it off, which is mm -hmm. why there's a switch for it. But in general, it gives good results and is like the speed difference isn't a lot. I haven't, I don't have measurements to hand, but I'm guessing about 10% sort of thing. Whereas going to the next AI brain might make a much bigger jump. So yeah, so yeah. that's what that does. Okay. And then the neural engine, what's that cutoff is basic or like when does the neural I think engine currently tiny and basic both use the neural engine in theory yeah small could use the neural engine but there seems to be a problem with so when you download um a brain that uses the neural engine the first time you select it it needs to basically optimize it for your device because yeah. all of the different devices have slightly different neural engines yeah i was wondering how much that's improved over the years the neural engine <laughs> i'm sure a little bit so yeah, yeah. So when you do that, uh, Apple starts off a process in the background mm -hmm. that is optimizing that. Yeah. Sometimes Apple's process just gets wedged. And I don't know why. I don't know if that's something they're going to fix in a future update, but that, and it, it's fine for the, the, uh, the tiny brain and the basic brain. The small brain sometimes works, sometimes gets wedged. Because it's not reliable, I've turned neural engine off for the small brain because then it will always work. And when I say wedged, the problem is on a Mac, you can open up Activity Monitor, see the process and go, oh, that's wedged, I will kill it and now it's going to work. On the iPad, you don't get to do that. So I, that's not something that I can gamble on and say, oh, hey, try it out and see if it works. Maybe it will. I have to turn it off because otherwise it could just sit there draining somebody's battery. So that's why I've made that choice. At some point in the future, it might get, you know, reliable you know the compiler that's running in the background may always work and only take a you know a minute say in which case yeah then i can re-enable that um but larger than that it doesn't really work you know the so that was the small brain yeah so the medium and large don't fit into the neural engine at all so they just don't use it Okay. And are there other brains you hope to add in the future? I wasn't sure. Like, is there a Japanese only brain? Like, do other languages have their, is English the only special uh, blessed English language? English is the only one that has its, yeah, it's okay. got its own dedicated set of brains. Partly that's just because of its, well, you know, it's become this international language, despite being right. terrible language for yes. that, because it's, <laughs> you know, there's all these memes about, you know, how English is all these other languages smooshed together mm -hmm. in the first place and it's just kind of terrible. Yeah. We as a as a as a English native, we always made fun of our language as kids, uh, the teachers did with like breaking all the rules our, our language does and it's just like Yeah. Not a great language as far as like <laughs> And very difficult to learn. Yes, and yes. so it's kind of amazing that people all over the world have learned it. Yes, exactly. But, but they have, <laughs> and uh, that's very good of them. Mm -hmm. And so it means that uh, it does get used a lot all over the place. So that's part of it. And partly, I'm guessing, it's just because OpenAI themselves are, you know, have, I guess, well, American, American I assume. American, but, yeah. What's their communication like as far as, like, um, 
do they have a timeline as far as like here's how often we update the models like do, is there an they have updated one of them i think they put out a new version of the large model but it's not i'm actually using the old version because mm-hmm. i'm not sure the large the, the update is necessarily better okay um it may be in some circumstances it's something to look into but yeah the um yeah so there there aren't plans for that at the moment they haven't announced anything i don't know really if they will um there are other companies that are doing similar things meta have brought mm-hmm. out one recently oh, literally about a week ago yeah but that's um non-commercial use only okay so we wouldn't be able to use right. that gotcha. but theoretically other models could be integrated yeah if other models come along um there is the possibility to do specialized retraining that's what i mentioned earlier about taking these models and then refining them with additional training that's something that can be done yeah it'd be fun to have like a for an additional uh fee train a, an ai model on all of my podcasts <laughs> <laughs> the thing is you in order to train it you do already need accurate transcripts oh gotcha that would make sense you have to pair it with audio and text yeah so a uh, very notably this app is also on the mac as we've spoken about it's not just mm-hmm. ipad and iphone um, there's no Apple Watch version quite yet. I don't think that would be kind of visible. No, I, uh, that's, yeah, not going to happen. <laughs> right. Um, but I'm curious, um, and, and this is very handy if you want to use, say, the large AI brain and you don't have one of those higher-end iPads. Um, mm-hmm. And as we spoke about, the CPU is used. So if you have a Mac Studio, it'll use that CPU to create <laughs> advantage for speed. But what's the workflow like in getting, say, a podcast edit? edited on ferrite on the ipad over to the mac version of this app in a nice way so the way that they're integrated is that when you go to export a project in ferrite mm-hmm. one of the options you can pick is for transcription and when you do that what it actually does is it creates a not quite blank but nearly blank transcriptionist document yeah and that document has all of the chapters and stuff like that set up already it has all of the audio imported already but it obviously doesn't have any of the transcription itself done yet and then you just pick transcriptionist from your the standard os share sheet and it will get sent across well if you want to do it on the mac you can just use airdrop to send it to the mac or Ah. you could save it to icloud drive or dropbox or whatever and then you can just open it on your mac brilliant yeah Uh, that makes total sense and yeah as i've been doing the exports for uh transcriptionist i've just always picked it but yeah it is just a share sheet you can send it anywhere you want total sense and it's it is it's making an actual transcriptionist document in ferrite so it doesn't actually have to do any importing or worrying about that stuff at the other end you've just got a transcriptionist document it just hasn't had the transcript uh transcribe button pushed yet yeah (laughs) Now, something I realized that I needed to change, I think, in Ferrite, as far as my transcript export is, uh, I typically um, have a mono of my spoken voices and music on um, just two tracks that I work with for the MP3 export, and when I, and I mute the individual uh, speakers uh, for the final export, uh, typically for MP3. When I tried that to transcript, um, it, it it ins- is there a way to actually go in within transcriptionist to um, 
unmute a track uh, that is otherwise muted in your multi-track? If you've muted a track and export that, it's going to just not export. So muted muted or... tracks are not in the transcript export. So that's no, because the yeah, it's it's muted. Right. Now you've got me thinking. Is that true? I'm pretty sure it's true. Should be true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I could like fire it up and double check, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure that that's how it's supposed to work. Okay. So um, and and so I and I, what I've been doing is I've been muting the music tracks as well. So basically, what I'm doing is just unmute the just speakers and mute everything else that's not needed for the transcript. That's the best kind of practice for the export. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You just. Um, I mean, you c if you include the music, it will. You will probably just get some bits that say music in the <laughs> transcript um, on its own. Yeah. You know, it appears as a separate sort of okay. person. Yeah. That is the music. But um, as long as it's on a separate track so that it's not interfering with other people, it's just, you probably don't need it, but right. it probably isn't going to hurt. Okay. And then uh, in what ways is the Mac app different from the iPad app, app if anyone? Are there any Mac native kind of features uh, that it takes advantage of? So in terms of features, it tries to be, I've tried to as much as possible to make all features available everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um if you because and if you do uh purchase it on one platform you'll be able to use it on all of them okay uh, as long as they're signed into the same app store account obviously yep. but um in terms of the user interface obviously the mac version it's not a catalyst app it's not a one of these cross-platform electron apps it's a fully native app um so it's going to take advantage of mac user interface conventions now over time, the iPad's user interface conventions have changed to be more Mac-like, and the Mac's user interface conventions have changed to be a little bit more iPad-like. So they're not that different. If you look, if you move from one to the other, you're going to be right at home, and you're going to see the same buttons in the same places. But on the Mac, they're going to look like Mac buttons that are slightly different to iPad ones. Um, and you can, and that extends. Uh, Obviously, to the native controls, but also to the the custom ones like um, the uh, the color picker, the, where you pick the highlight color for different people um, on the Mac. Those are essentially radio buttons, but with the backgrounds filled in with the different colors. And then on the iPad, it's not so different, but they they instead have little white rings that mark the highlighted one, and that's modeled after the iPad's native color picker. So there's stuff like that, but essentially you're going to be looking at something that works the same way. Now, obviously on the Mac, you have the full set of Mac menus along the top of the screen with yeah. all of the stuff that you would expect to find there and some of the things that uh, you can only access from the toolbar on the iPad because it doesn't have anything else um, <laughs> are in the menus on the Mac. So for example... Uh, and things like the switching brains mm -hmm. on um, on the Mac, you can just bring up the settings using the usual place in the in the application menu or command comma. comma. I think is the shortcut. Yeah. yeah. Um, and changing languages is done from I think the edit menu. So um, and chapters, you know, there's a chapter menu in the the main menu, so um, that's useful for quickly navigating around inside document whereas on the ipad you'd do that from the toolbar the 
dock icon shows progress on the Mac. Oh, That's very cool. something that we don't have any way to do on iPad. No, that'd there. be a neat thing for Apple to add uh, some mm. kind of app icon uh, <laughs> updating there. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, there's that, and that will show up both in the dock and also when you Alt-Tab. Um, oh, so nice. if you just quickly Alt-Tab, you'll see progress for transcriptionist if it's transcribing the background. Is there any kind of menu bar icon? I know some apps can put stuff up there. I thought about that, but I didn't think it provides enough utility since the doc already shows the progress. And because it's a, you know, there's some apps that that are menu bar only, but because this is a document editing app, that doesn't really make sense. No. Um, And what else? Obviously, you know, it's a proper Mac app. So editing, when you open and save documents, you're just doing that through Finder with the standard open and save sheets. Whereas on the iPad, it's using the uh, the iPad document browser. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you can drag and drop audio from Finder into transcripts or whatever. So it's all properly integrated yeah. on the Mac. And then the documents save in iCloud Drive. So if you do something on the Mac, do. you can then edit on the... After that's transcribed on the Mac, you it would save up to the cloud and... You could theoretically pull it up on yeah. your iPad to do the editing if you wanted to. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend having it open on both at the same yes. time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in theory, and obviously audio files can be pretty large, so yeah. that's something to bear in mind. Yeah, but, I've noticed yeah, it's, uh, oh, this is a three gig. Uh, it's like, I'm going to make sure that uh, app does not also turn into a 400 gigabyte app for me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, do the exports and whatnot. Uh, and a little bit easier to archive your transcripts into whatever backup system you have because it's, it's, it's all contained just in that one file, right? Yeah, it's yeah. just a single file that has all of the audio, all of the uh, images for the chapters and all of that stuff, yeah. and the transcript itself. And if you do need to, you can export the audio, and that's literally just copying the audio files out of the document in case you, like if you accidentally lost your podcast yeah. original for some reason, you would just be able to export the audio from the transcript. Yeah. There's no uh, fancy MP3 conversions and stuff, just the straight No, no, no. It's, yeah. yeah, it's literally just take the audio that's already inside the document yes. and <laughs> give you access to it again yeah. if you need it. And has making a Mac version of uh, transcriptionist given you the bug to <laughs> see what ferrite would look like on the Mac. <laughs> I can't remember if we discussed this last time we talked, but I mean, I already know what ferrite would look like <laughs> on the Mac because I spent something like a year trying to make a catalyst version of it work. Yeah. And in some ways it was very cool to, you know, to see that there and see it with those Mac idioms. But I could, there was a number of problems in Catalyst slash Mac OS that I couldn't work around, uh, primarily around things like plugins. And also just, there was some weird stuff to do with scrolling and responsiveness on yeah. the Mac that wasn't, it was weird because you've got this really right. powerful Mac and it wasn't <laughs> as smooth as, as, I several years old <laughs> iPad or iPhone <laughs> right. and there was no reason for that yeah and so that's why it ended up effectively I was like the time that I'm spending on this is time that I'm not spending on the iOS version right. that people are already using so I focused on for 3 and then this now 
I have been thinking about maybe doing a fully native version. That yeah. does also bring up a whole bunch of other questions. Right. Like, again, the plugins thing, because plugins are different on the Mac versus yeah. the iPad. So that's going to cause problems if you have a podcast project on one that uses plugins that aren't available on the other. But maybe that's just that's just life. I mean, my... my um... If it was me, you know, and, and you just did whatever I told you to do, I, it would be Vision OS would be the next thing to do. You uh, can do these uh, uh, control pads on the table in front of you, a big bun for, like, cut and grab audio in front of you. Just make your own custom keyboard uh, virtual in front of you and this fully Vision I've OS thing. I've been thinking about Vision <laughs> OS. It's very cool looking. I have a question that I don't have an answer to, which is yeah. can you – select regions of audio using vision os because my understanding which may be incorrect yeah. but my understanding is that for privacy reasons apps don't know what you're looking at oh with iTrack. all of your selections exactly yeah all of your selections are based on what you look at and the way that they sort of cut the gordian knot on the um the privacy thing there yeah. is that Vision OS doesn't tell developers where you're looking at until you push a button and then it says you pushed this button. Right. And Vision OS handles making the button highlight when you look at it right. and press when you press it. And then the app just goes, oh, this has been pressed. I need to respond to that. Now that's fine for pushing buttons. Right. It's also fine for... uh shortening or lengthening the edges of audio because mm -hmm. you look at the edge that you want to edit and or pinch. cutting at the playhead would also have yes but not point. anywhere else and right. also how do you it's tricky to move the playhead because you have to it's yes. not impossible <laughs> but it might be really awkward if you always have to cut at the playhead you yeah. can't just go slice yeah and the app needs to work without a keyboard or trackpad even though some a lot of people will use that but it needs a backup uh by default way to use it just with your hands um yeah no uh, yeah <laughs> and i'm just not sure what the what the story is on vision os and again it might all work but we don't know because we haven't seen it right our plug our audio plugins supported on vision os what about things like recording yeah, that's my microphones. big that's my big question with that. Um, like, I I don't know, I, I don't know the recording side of things. Uh, you know, my my dream is that battery um, box uh, that USB C port is also used for I/O, but I don't think that's uh, been shared as a thing. As, a, but yeah, I mean, it might be, but that might also be you know wishful thinking. Yes, you know, I'd say wishful Apple thinking can sometimes point. be quite <laughs> yeah, Gen three I'm or four thinking... maybe that it's added. Yeah. So we'll see, but yeah, yeah, we'll see how the iPad versions of apps run. But yeah, I would um, definitely love a Vision OS app because uh, yeah, the 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 custom keyboard shortcuts in, in Ferrari are so good. It'd be cool to be able to use that kind of stuff to make your own custom like um, control surface in front of you, where you just like make these different touch targets for different uh, edits and things. Yeah, I mean. Although I don't know if that's actually going to be useful because reaching out. So mm -hmm. if 
you think about something like a stream deck, an actual physical yeah. stream deck, the great thing about that is that you can put your hands on it and feel the edges of the buttons and know which ones that your fingers yeah, you are on get it. without looking at it yeah. and without accidentally triggering anything because you actually have to push it. Right. That's not going to be the case with a visual one. Right. With, uh, yeah, with a, uh, yeah. a virtual reality virtual one. one. Which means that you're going to have to look down. Yes. It's, it's like the, um, the, uh, MacBook, uh, Pro the just, touch, uh, bar touch bar thing. Yeah, I was, I was, I was saying Apple should make a huge touch bar for Vision OS. <laughs> just in front of you there. Yeah. But yeah, so, you, there's no tactileness to, yeah. to what it is. Yeah. So, and the other thing is, if you're looking at it, like it's a, anything that you look at can be a target anyway, because you don't have to reach out and tap things with your yeah. finger on Vision OS. You just look at them and then just tap your fingers together wherever those fingers are. And it just triggers the thing you're looking at. Yeah. So at that point, something like the, uh, the shortcuts bar that's already in ferrites, mm -hmm. that's as powerful as some kind of, uh, wacky control surface yeah. because you just have to look at it. Right. I mean, so, so, uh, you know, this, this really means you should sell like a, uh, a physical, a physical touchpad, <laughs> touch, uh, control surface for ferrites for Vision OS that actually does nothing except for have, uh, different, uh, buttons that, you know, you could feel around, you know, and then map things. Again, to we're it. back to the question of yes. does Vision OS support <laughs> peripherals? Uh, <laughs> right. We don't know. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To, yeah. I uh, suppose. Bluetooth, Bluetooth accessories. I believe it would hook up with like a MIDI keyboard and stuff like that. I would, I would hope so. Maybe a MIDI keyboard. Obviously, a keyboard keyboard is right. supported. We know that. Yeah. So, if somebody made a device that was essentially a keyboard and it was just triggering keyboard shortcuts when you pushed the hardware buttons, yes. that should work. Right. Yeah. But anyways, um, yeah, I could talk about that stuff for for hours. Uh, um, very, very curious how that platform evolves over the years <laughs> and launches and everything. But um, anyways, um, I, I did think of one other cool use case of uh, transcriptionist. Um, mm -hmm. Back when I was trying to learn Japanese, I would listen to the Monster Hunter podcast in, from Japan just because I wanted to hear people speak it in a podcast form. And now I could go back and you know throw those episodes through it and see what they were actually saying <laughs> and very quickly speaking Japanese. Uh, that could be fun to, to do because then you could run the transcript through uh, – translator app as well yeah yeah potentially um but yeah um anything else we haven't covered about um about the app that you'd like to before we wrap it up uh i am trying to remember we've covered quite a lot so uh i'm not sure i'm just literally opening it up and having a look to see if there's anything we should mention it is free to download and you can use the tiny brain totally for free. And um, just it, it's, it's got a limited amount of duration though, but that'll give you a good sense of the UI and see if this is kind of a tool mm -hmm. that will fit your needs. Yeah. I don't think there's uh, anything else that's coming to mind offhand. Yeah. I, uh, I, yeah. I think we, uh, went it through every nook and cranny of it. And, um, I'm, yeah, I'm so glad this app exists. This is an app I've wanted to exist for a while. It's awesome that uh, 
this AI revolution we're now in uh, get, was able to help you give birth to this new app. Um, it's awesome. It is cool. I like it because it's um, it's a constructive use of AI. Yes. If you see what I mean. Yes. <laughs> this is a. Um, I was going to say this is an app that uh, will not steal your job, but if you are a professional transcriber, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this will aid you in allowing you to do even more transcriptions. And yeah, yeah. indeed, yes. Um, so, where can people find more information about uh, this awesome new app? So, uh, yeah, that's going to be on wujijuice.com. That's W O O J I dash and then juice as in fruit juice dot mm-hmm. com. Uh, right as we speak, which is bef- about a week before the Apple event, um, it's still just a coming soon page for yes. that. But uh, by the time this airs, I'm sure that we'll have all of the details, lots of pictures on all platforms and you know links to the App Store and all of the rest of it. Uh, you can also find us on... Mastodon as at Wuji at uh, I think it's indieapps.space. Yeah, I believe <laughs> I will make sure it's linked to in the uh, uh, description here for the podcast, the show notes. Cool. Um, and then uh, we must say, if you are a Ferrite user, make sure to update the latest version of Ferrite when you're using transcript to have that nice direct integration there. Yeah, I'm hoping to. I think Apple now have a thing where you can upload app updates for multiple apps and submit them at the same time, and then they all they all either go through or don't. Oh, nice! So that we don't end up with a situation where you've got one there without the support yes. from the other. Um, so yeah, again, this is you know we're still in the final preparation stages. We're waiting for the final Xcode for iOS 17 and all of that to to come down and then it has to go through App Store review and all of that but hopefully within the next couple of weeks as as we talk which I think from what you're saying is going to be uh, a week or two before this episode goes out Mm -hmm. so it should hopefully all be out and available by the time you hear this Excellent, well thank you Cancer for your time it's been a great chat, I always enjoyed these uh, deep dives into what you're up to with your your app thank you tim it's been uh, great to chat well that's my discussion with canis all about transcriptionist make sure to check out transcriptionist over at www.wuji-juice.com and my thanks to canis for time recording this episode and my thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in as a reminder you can support the show by trying out agenda learn more at www.agenda.com and my thanks again to agenda for sponsoring this episode of iPapros. Get early access to both iPapros and Vision Pros by subscribing at patreon.com slash iPapros or by subscribing in Apple Podcasts. With that, I'll talk to everyone again real soon.